I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like, how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long-term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Hello. If you've been following along with the show, you know that each episode we take a look back into the past to examine how societal changes have affected the way we design and build our spaces now and into the future. But sometimes, the past echoes through time in paranormal ways. Each year, we will highlight some of the world's most haunted spaces. My name is Demetrius, and you are listening to a special edition of Spaces Podcast, which we call... Haunted Spaces. Spaces. Along the Atlantic Ocean, just south of Jacksonville, sits St. Augustine, Florida, also known as the nation's oldest city, or to most locals, as the ancient city. St. Augustine has a storied history since being established by Spain and continuously occupied since 1565. Over that time, it has come to be home to some of America's most popular haunted places. And one of those places, located on Anastasia Island, is the St. Augustine Lighthouse. Lighthouses are structures designed to admit light as a navigational aid for maritime pilots, marking hazardous areas or safe entries into harbor. But this lighthouse is said to do much more. It is believed that the lighthouse acts as a spirit portal navigating spirits that wander aimlessly at sea. An archived map from 1589 
is the first reference of a wooden watchtower that eventually became the St. Augustine Lighthouse. As a watchtower, it served to keep enemy ships from taking Anastasia Island. This area would come to experience a lot of tragedy, accidental or otherwise. It was the grounds of battles and wars, such as the French and Indian War, the American Civil War, and many maritime incidents. Shipwrecks were a serious problem at this location, to the extent that on the night of New Year's Eve, 1782, 16 ships wrecked in an attempt to enter the harbor. Today, this site is known by paranormal investigators to be highly active with spirits from its historic past. There are stories of soldiers from war, pirates being executed for crimes and buried on site, accidental and intentional deaths of visitors and workers, but some spirits are more prominent than others. Many have told experiences of one spirit who has terrified people that have lived and worked on site. He is known as the Man in Blue. In 1821, as the United States took control of Florida, a man named Juan Antonio Andrew was appointed keeper of the structure. He is said to have taken his job very seriously. One day, while painting the tower, Andrew slipped, falling to his death. There are mixed opinions on who actually is the man in blue. Some theorize that the man in blue could also be a keeper who allegedly hung himself in the tower or another who died in the Tower of Tuberculosis. In any case, this spirit has had a strong connection to the lighthouse. By 1871, it became evident that sea levels were rising, threatening the location of the lighthouse. The tower would need to be relocated further from the shoreline. Congress funded construction of a new 165-foot lighthouse tower, which was completed in 1874 just six years before the original tower would be claimed by the sea. Whether it was a passion for the job or an unsettled soul, the spirit of the man in blue followed and made his presence known at the new tower location. Visitors and workers report the strong smell of a cigar at the top of the tower when there is no visible source. In fact, smoking is not even allowed on site. A film crew for the Discovery Channel also reported cigar smoke in their filming area. They also saw the apparition of a man in a mist-like form walking along the second floor of an adjacent Victorian home. As the crew walked around, unusual sounds and orbs of light followed. Footsteps on gravel are heard following people on the property. The man in blue appears to always be on duty. Hopefully, he's just there for upkeep. While not as threatening, other paranormal stories can truly be eerie. These are reports of children haunting the premises. One spirit is suspected to be of a child who was tragically hit by a train nearby. Another incident occurred 
when the construction began on the new lighthouse in 1871. Hezekiah H. Pitty, a father of four, oversaw the work. His children often joined him on site, but as children do, they grew restless from boredom. For entertainment, he allowed them and a servant child to play on a supply cart, riding back and forth between the lighthouse and the ocean. However, on July 10, 1873, the children lost control of the cart, toppling over into the ocean. Workers were able to save two of the children, but Hezekiah's two eldest, Eliza and Mary, and the unnamed little girl drowned. Since, lighthouse workers have reported seeing small footprints in the sand, childlike figures dressed in early 20th century clothing standing in windows and doors, and the sound of children playing in the halls of the Victorian home and stairs of the tower. There are instances of locked doors being opened when the staff returns the following day. In the museum gift shop, music boxes inexplicably open playing music on their own. Tour guides experience incidents of being touched or grabbed by ghosts while giving a tour. But the most disturbing is a photo that was captured in 2009. A cell tower technician took a photo of his co-worker with the lighthouse in the background. Upon further review of the photo, he was shaken to see what appears to be an unnerving figure of a young girl in a long dress with long dark hair standing alone on the observation deck, gazing into the vast ocean, maybe navigating those spirits that wander aimlessly at sea. Thank you for joining us again. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate or like it and leave a review. It helps others find the show. So it's all up to you. If you really love what we're doing here, sharing us with your friends is even better. If you just stumbled upon the show, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss another episode. And until next year, this has been another edition of Haunted Spaces. 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 Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders. Get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise. From 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, 
shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK, the three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm.